Welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where our teenage angst bullshit also has a body count. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, welcome. In real life, the Final Girls put on events and screenings that explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. Our next one, which we've just announced, has just gone on sale, is going to be a preview of the Palm Door winning absolute mindfuck of a cinematic masterpiece, Julia de Cournot's Titan. I'll leave the link in the show notes. Do grab a ticket really, really soon. That's going to be very special. But back to the show here on this podcast, we take a horror trope every season and explore it to death by diving deep into the horror movies and the horror adjacent movies that represented the best. In the fourth series of the podcast, we are now looking at teen horror, how it's evolved and why teenagers and their issues make some of the most compelling protagonists of the genre. Before we dive into our episode this week, a quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Final Ghost UK for updates, ticket announcements, and many horror dance TikToks. We also have a Patreon where you can support our work, get occasional bonus episodes. If you don't want to join in, that's fine, but we really would appreciate if you could leave us a rating and a review over an Apple podcast. Today's episode is probably the weirdest double bill I've ever put together in the show. On the one hand, there's a horror comedy about a bunch of ghoulish preteens taking on the bootleg universal monsters in order to save the planet from something. I'm talking about Monster Squad. And then there's the darkest of teen black comedies where murder and suicide are an everyday occurrence and everybody talks like they're in an alien planet where everybody wears shoulder pads and color coordinates their manias to their outfits. Obviously, that's Heather's. It is the strangest of combinations, but it kind of works. And to be honest, makes for a great double bill for a lazy weekend in. And joining me to discuss this wacky combination of is the chief film critic of The Independent and my fellow American Horror Story fanatic, Clarice Lockery. And with all of that said, please enjoy our take on Monster Squad and Heathers. Damn, son, look at all of these monsters. Come on, all of you monsters, out of here. Everyone, out of this room. Come, ah, ah, you, on the bed. Come on, out, out, take a hike. There he goes. You see any more monsters? Ooh! Look at that big, scary monster! Ooh! Hi, Clarice. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm. I'm the one of the movies we're talking about today is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I know it's the reason why I asked you to come on to talk about it because I know you absolutely love this one. um a lot of my personality is wrapped into this movie (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of scary i mean yeah well not in that not in that way (laughs) 
by in other ways, yes. Okay, so we'll 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 break that down later on in this episode. But <laughs> we were chatting beforehand, and I I have like a slight confession to make. So when I <laughs> very confidently could have paired these two films together and asked you to come on this episode to talk about these ones in particular, and then as we were about to record. I genuinely, for the life of me, I was like, why did I pair Monster Squad and Heathers together? I cannot remember. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> having... I, yeah. <laughs> it's a curious choice. Um, but before we kind of dig into both of them individually, um, having rewatched them and revisited them, kind of, do they fit together for you? I think they do. Like, I... I know you were a bit like, oh my god, what's the link? But for me, um, it's this the they're two such curious films in terms of like they are things we would never see again. Uh, they were so of their era and also outside of their era because um, both of them didn't particularly do very well. <laughs> when they were first released I think financially and to some degree with critics as well uh, because both were considered like like too adult or like too advanced for the audience they were made for I mean it's different audiences we're talking about obviously Heather's was a teen movie Monster Squad is more tween than Teen, like be like, I guess being on the cusp of teenagehood. Yeah. It's not really. I think not for kid kids. Certainly not. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like in that Goonies vibe, right? There, you've got tweens and kind of like old, slightly older yeah. uh, kids as well who go on an adventure and and bond together and all that stuff. So you kind of try to hit both target audiences. Like it's cute for the older teens and it's relatable for the tweens. Yeah, but there, but this is the thing with Monster Squad is what's so interesting about it is that it's definitely <laughs> doing more than the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like it's fascinating because watching it, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if this is appropriate. Usually, I'm the last person to say that because mm. I'm like, you know, we're way too, we are way too patronizing towards teenagers and kids thinking that they can't handle things. And 90% of the time they can, uh, when there are these like weird scares. But watching Monster Squad, I was like, I don't, they just gave all the kids guns. I don't know about this. <laughs> I, I felt like a, a concerned parent watching Monster <laughs> Squad. But I think that's what's so fast, that's what's so fascinating about mm -hmm. it is, the fact that in 1987 mm -hmm. this kind of film was possible to make i don't think i don't think you would ever see that now and it's kind of a, a freak accident that this happened and i think you could say the same thing about heathers actually and in fact uh, i think the director of heathers michael lehman has said that several times so it's like you could not make heathers now um in fact you couldn't make heathers even 10 years ago it would be it would feel off and weird and almost too much. So it is this kind of weird anomaly. And and you know what? Like, you know, past Anna had a point, and I think that might have been the point that I was trying to make, is that they're kind of <laughs> horror-adjacent teen, uh, teen films, but they're too, they're too much to be straight teen films in so many ways. 
and they're too little to be straight up teen horror, which is why I like both of them. Yeah, and it's interesting you said because they did try to remake Heather's. There was a they TV did, show which lasted like they made two seconds. Why don't they get ever read? Because they kept trying to premiere it, and then, um, you know, sadly, a a real life event mm-hmm. would happen that would be far too close to the plot of the TV show, and they had to cancel it. And I think, mm-hmm. I think it just never aired in the end, which is probably for the best. Let's get into the first one of our unconventional black teen horror adjacent double bill. Um, <laughs> can and let's talk about Monster Squad from 1987. So, for anyone who maybe has not seen this in a while because it might be too too kitty horror, um, can you briefly summarize what the film is about? It is preteens versus universal classic movie monsters. <laughs> <laughs> that's the plot I love uh, it. There, there's some sort of I kind of don't understand the plot of Monster Squad there is an amulet that is all goodness inside an amulet and and every century <laughs> every there's an opportunity that. for it to not be that for some reason and there has to be like a spell in German that has to be read by a virgin that's very important that it's a virgin the amulet thing, take it or leave it. But the universal monsters, yes. <laughs> yeah, because they want the amulet because they want just monsters everywhere and all the time. So by breaking the amulet, I believe, then they can just be like, we're all here now. <laughs> and I love it. So the monst- before the monsters show up, we do get introduced to the Monster Squad, which is this little group of preteen boys who are very nerdy, kind of nasty in their own way. Um, so who I love horror shit. So who are the Monster Squad boys? Well, they're sort of like the Goonies, but like the Goonies that your parents would tell you not to hang out with because they give off really bad vibes. <laughs> like the dirtbag Goonies? <laughs> they are kind of the do- dirtbag Goonies because there's, there's like the leader kid who's Sean, right? I feel like um, all the kids blended into one like trouble child by the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> there's like the leader, there's... um. The like pint sized JD from Heather's <laughs> character, who's called Rudy. He's that. got a leather jacket. And he that. is a pervert, and because it's the eighties, everyone's totally fine with that. <laughs> there's the best friend. Then then there's the there's the kid that they just call Fat Kid. His name and- is Horace. <laughs> I know but this is <laughs> and the he case. keeps this is- saying it. This is such a supremely 80s thing yeah. of like, he, it's meant to be this triumphant thing of like, my name is Horace. And he gets a moment at the end of the movie where he stands up to his bullies. He's got a gun. <laughs> Again, by the end of the movie, every kid's got a gun and he like cocks the gun mm-hmm. at, and, and uh, threatens to shoot his bullies and says, my name is Horace. But the problem with that is because they also want him to be like the target of jokes even the good characters call them fat kids yeah. so like 
it's that to me is so of its era this sort of like i feel like goonies does it as well where it's like both being sympathetic to the outsider character but also like making fun of them at the same time like well yeah can't quite decide yeah the, the goonies does exactly the same thing with chunk like the his friends yes. constantly humiliate him and even his whole nickname is based on the fact that he's a chubby kid Yes, it's not because of like some other reason. <laughs> it's very cruel. Yeah. It's very cruel. Um, the only thing I will say in defense of these very mean Monster Squatty kids is that I fucking love the t-shirt that the Sean wears, where it's like Stephen King rules. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I yes. want. That. I mean, I probably would choose to hang out with these kids over the Goonies. Because they are a little bit cooler, even though they're assholes a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think they're the sort of assholes that would grow out of being assholes eventually. But because it is the 80s and because they're boys that only hang out with boys, they are inevitably assholes. Yeah. And this is another thing I find really fascinating about the dynamics mm-hmm. is um, like the role of women and girls in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because like... They want to have a, a girl member, but like any <clears throat> any girl who was like their their age, who was like as cool as them, as smart as them, would be perceived as a threat. So they go, "Oh ah, what we'll actually have is we'll have the the Sean's younger sister Phoebe, who's mm-hmm. like the adorable, super um, cute little girl." Yeah, well, like she's like the it's like a reference to Frankenstein. Yes. The little, girl that he throws but it's sort of a visual nod to that Um, this doesn't happen though in the movie yeah I was about to say there is no killing of little girls in this movie yeah they just she just gets to be best friends with Frankenstein's monster which is very sweet Um, but kind of a visual nod to that character but really her role is to say hey we've got a girl but she's very unthreatening because she is a little pigtailed child Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just, I always find that stuff and I find those kinds of gender dynamics in this era of movie making really fascinating because it's always that like, it is the constant push and pull between, oh, we want to have girls, but we can't make the girls like, they can't have too much power. Otherwise it becomes a problem. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's exactly it. And what about the monsters? So we've got... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dracula is the big bad bully, and we've got the Wolfman, we've got the Gillman, we've got Mummy, and we've got Frankenstein's monster. And I feel like I <laughs> I love I love Dracula in this because he's. I was trying to think, like, okay, what what version of Dracula is he specifically meant to be referencing? And he's quite like he's sort of presented as quite menacing but the look is very camp Um, yes he's you know what i think he's like um i think visually he takes a lot from bella lugosi's bella lugosi's dracula but he's kind of giving me a count chocula vibe (laughs) the vibe i got was like the monsters like the 60s like that kind of dra- even the look because i was thinking it feels like it should be bella lugosi but i don't know if you really because <laughs> like, bella lugosi was quite it was very sexy yeah as dracula 
And this Dracula is like, he's just going to give you some candy and that's it. Um, I feel like he was trying to, he was trying to channel Bela Lugosi, but at the same time he was very aware that he was in a kid's movie, so there was no one to be sexy yet. So he was like, I'm going to be Bella, but with the sexiness completely erased because obviously inappropriate. You know, and it's that thing of like, yeah. someone who's like containing themselves is like, don't be too sexy, don't be too scary. This is not the time or the place. <laughs> Which I, it sounds like I'm being very negative, but I, I like, I like the campiness of the monsters in this. I yeah. Think it, it works because like, like the, the tone of this movie is, is this like fascinating <laughs> tension between the like the kid and the adult and mm-hmm. that's really the place in their lives that all these these kids are at they're like on the threshold of adulthood and they mm-hmm. want to act like adults but they aren't really adults and so it's it's by the end by the end of the movie you have this situation where like the actual monsters are quite they are quite kiddy and quite goofy and not very threatening. Mm-hmm. And it's the kids who I keep going back to this, but like the kids all have guns at the end. They have actual firearms <laughs> and they kill, they kill the monsters, which I, to me is quite surprising. Yeah. In this kind of film to have like them actually go, I'm going to shoot I'm going to shoot the wolfman in the chest and I'm going to kill him and he's going to thank me for it. And it, like the wolfman also, let's just say, is the only one who's like a real man who like we meet as a man and turns into the wolfman. Yes. And he's like quite desperate being like, please put me in jail. I'm going to turn into a monster. And he does. He fucking thanks the kid for killing him. I was like, Jesus Christ. I know he really <laughs> is the mini JD in this film. Yeah, and like the the sort of the implication of it all is quite it's quite dark because like the monsters they just wanted this stupid amulet, <laughs> and and they all they're all kind of in goofy, very Halloween costumey um, disguises. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the the practical effect work on the Wolfman is great, fantastic, but you look at him and you know he's not very threatening. He's mm. quite. <laughs> Like, oh, <laughs> again, I feel like the wolfman's going to give me candy and pat me on the head and send me on my way. <laughs> so to have that, mm-hmm. and then in that final scene, it's like, it, it really does feel like this metaphor for the <laughs> the kids, you know, embracing adulthood by, like, turning to adult things, which I guess is, like, violence mm-hmm. and control and death and kind of, like, nasty <laughs> so i yeah i mean i guess it's it's not surprising to me that it was written by shane black i'll just say that yes (laughs) i you know we can see all the shane blackisms all over the place here but the one thing i wanted to add about kind of the design of the monsters as well so because this wasn't um a universal film like these are obviously all the classic universal monsters but they're just a little bit off from the from being exact designs but at the same time i think they were they were kind of designed in a way where they would be perhaps scarier to children so i think a lot of that is tapping is tapping into that kind of the that that 
weird tension of like we're preteens, but we're not really either teens or fully fledged adults yet. So like these monsters are supposed to be scary, not really for an adult audience, but for like a, a kid audience, I think. Um, and they were like, I read that they were terrifying to especially the, the little girl. Like the Dracula guy had to take off his fangs um, because it would scare her too much if he if he had the fangs in and they were kind of acting opposite each other. Um, so she was way, way, way too terrified of him. I was like, you know what? That kind of makes sense. Like it seems a little bit goofy and campy to us. But if I had seen this movie as a kid, I would be freaked out by them. Yeah, I think I think I was on a different level when I was a kid because like I used to have nightmares about vampires, but they looked like proper Nosferatu. Like oh. I guess I probably saw Nosferatu when I was two years. Because that, that like <laughs> this is the thing: the Universal, the actual Universal monsters are Fantastic. are still yeah, and still very frightening. Hmm. Um, and it's I think it is interesting that like they're sort of deemed as things that you could show kids these days mm. <laughs> and i think i was shown a couple of the universal monster things um and just to see the comparison of like that design to mm. um what is like this is meant to be the kitty version of it mm-hmm. and it's, yeah i guess i was just way too hardcore as a kid <laughs> <laughs> and um and th- the other thing that i kind of love um <laughs> Sorry, I just lost that line. I was too hardcore as a kid. It's too hardcore. I was already. You were on Count Dracula. I was already on Nosferatu. <laughs> <laughs> I'd already progressed. <laughs> when did you watch it for the first time? Well, I don't. This is the thing. I don't have a memory of watching it, but I hmm. remember having nightmares about yeah. vampires, and the vampires looked like they looked like Nosferatu. They did not look like any other version of Dracula. Interesting. <laughs> So I must have I must have seen it or like been exposed to it in some way. So I remember, I mean, my first traumatic and very clear memory of watching any horror film and also having nightmares about it is Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, which we covered in last week's episode. But the one thing that I wanted to to kind of bring up as well about uh, Monster Squad and which I love in all movies is the Treehouse and and how much the kids love horror like that's why they bond right aside from being little dipshits uh they also just love movie monsters they love horror stories there's a great scene with the our main guy sean and his dad basically begging him to go see the movie because 24 hours later there would have been it like it would have been completely spoiled for him (laughs) (laughs) so the monster squad invented spoiler culture uh is what i'm saying but how do you feel horror culture fits into this film well that one is fascinating because the movie franchise he's talking about is called groundhog day (laughs) and i was very confused for a second before i remembered this was 1987 groundhog day came out in like 1993 i was like that's been 12 groundhog days i thought it was a joke about how like groundhog day is like They just kept making them, and it's just the worry, like, trapped in the same day, and it's the same movie over and over again. Um, Which I guess was the joke that the Groundhog Day horror franchise is the same thing over and over again. Like, I don't don't know, but it took me a good five minutes to figure out that they were not talking about Bill Murray Groundhog Day. Um, But yes, like, 
I I love I love that idea of that franchise though, mm. and where the dad makes a joke about like, oh, but they like put him in a microwave and cut him up instead of a doorway, and he's like, Dad, that happened in Groundhog Day Seven. Like <laughs> this this great little joke about how um I think about how like the the affectation for horror comes with like sometimes has to come with you admitting that it's schlock and like but it's good schlock and you love to just go see the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. because horror you know can in fact be very comforting and i think that's what the kids love about this like i don't know it's interesting that they're like they're never it's never about the scariness, I think. No, it's about the the community experience for them, right? It's like, no, I want to go to yeah. see it tonight when all my friends are going to go see it and we're going to talk about it. It's not even about the movie, really. It's about being there with everyone else watching it. Yeah, and the the ritual of having this thing, which I, which I guess is like the very core of, of fandom yes. and why um, sequels to things exist, because I think we as the people like the ritual <laughs> of going back. You know, it's why Wes Anderson's so popular. You go back because you want to see the thing again. The same <laughs> and thing. And you want to you be confident and you want to be held and you want to be like... <laughs> and, and I think that's always been so true Um of the horror genre and the horror fandom is that like people just really like the the ritual of it mm-hmm. and i think you know connecting it to the fact that yeah the monsters here are the universal monsters the the ones that we've had our entire lives and we love just going back to see like you know What's the creature from the Black Lagoon going to do this time? He's probably going to come out of a lake and go blah. <laughs> but we love it. <laughs> yeah, which you is know? why I think we keep coming back to these um, to these original monsters. Let's call them that, right? Because especially because the Universal monsters created such a a visual blueprint for what these monsters would look like. There's a reason we think of, you know, kind of the the sexy Dracula that was established by Bela Lugosi's Dracula in the 30s versus the Nosferatu-esque Dracula established by Murnau, because it's it like they were just on a bigger cultural scale. And and some of these monsters obviously like caught on more than others, like the amount of times that there have been variations of adaptations of Frankenstein's monster and Dracula um, and uh, kind of... <laughs> the mummy, but not so many of like Gilman or Wolfman. So like they keep coming back. So we need very little visual information to completely clock who these monsters are, what they can do and where and kind of what their personalities are like, really. We know that Frankenstein's monster is not really an evil creature. So it makes sense that he is the self-sacrificing one in Monster Squad as well and kind of befriends this little girl. Yeah, and again, like we're talking about, like the the, the scariness mm-hmm. of these figures, and you know, when you go back to the original Universal films, and you go, "Wow, well, yeah, really, these are frightening figures, and they are still frightening today." But because culturally, we're not we're not really receiving the original character; we're receiving it filtered through like Halloween costumes, <laughs> Halloween decorations, <laughs> like um, 
yeah, things like this Monster Squad, things like the Monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's no coincidence to me that Guillermo del Toro, you know, won an Oscar for for making a fuckable girl man. You know, <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's it's really I think these characters hold such a a culturally like it is it's comfort. I think they are so mm. comforting to people because they are a thing that has always been here. <laughs> and and like it reminds them of their childhood and the first time they were exposed to these characters mm. it, you know it reminds them of halloween and like very nice memories of dressing mm. up and going trick or treating and you know yeah watching maybe watching the original classic universal things mm. with their family on you know a stormy night <laughs> under the covers with the popcorn like oh it's God, that's so cute but I feel like when we're talking about the Universal Monsters, like we're having to hold these two images together mm-hmm. at the same time of both like they're still really frightening, but also they're kind of not frightening anymore mm-hmm. because we we too much associate them with like nice things and nice memories <laughs> and good cultural things. So I think that's maybe why Monster Squad works so well, because it can kind of combine those two things mm-hmm. of um they can be a believable threat to these kids, but also, like you know, you know, they're not, they're not they're scary. Not, they're not going to hurt them real bad. The kids- yeah, and the kids can pretty easily defeat them. Yeah, you know, I think it is kind of interesting with years of monster movies of like how impossible it should be to kill Dracula, Gilman, Mummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in this movie, they're just like one bullet to the heart, we're done. <laughs> And and on that note, actually, to to kind of wrap our conversation uh, around the Monster Squad, we kind of mentioned before that the there is like some the kids are fucking violent in this. Um, what do you think of the not so much the horror monsters, but like the kids and the the scarier scenes, or like the the ones that are kind of perhaps surprisingly violent with hindsight? Yeah, I'm very like. I'm very shocked by the violence, and I can't. Mm-hmm. Like I said this earlier, like I hate to be the the finger wagging, <laughs> but it. I think because of where we are today, culturally, societally, like just where we are at this point in history, it's quite a shocking image to see a kid mm-hmm. just with a gun mm-hmm. using the gun in a movie, and it's not. And they are meant to be the hero. I think today, that image, there's a lot of dissonance, a lot of, like, uncomfortable shit associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this is, like, this will lead us on to Heather's. I think that's the thing. It's You, you have to watch it in the context of it being 1987. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the image at the time just played as, like, yeah, maybe a little bit of a joke. But also, uh, I think for the audience it was made for, mm-hmm. you know, the kids were still watching. You know, like, kids watch violent action movies all the time and they fantasize yeah. themselves as the guy with the gun. They they want to be, be Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think for the audience it was made for, it's not... It's not shocking to them or it's not, like, dissonant to them because mm-hmm. it's just playing into their own fantasies. 
And I guess if we have an issue with it, we should be questioning <laughs> why kids are, why, why as kids, I think we all, you know, had fantasies of, you know, wielding a gun and shooting the bad guy. It's, yeah, I guess it's, it brings up a lot of stuff. And and I think you're right. I think this is a perfect segue into talking about Heathers. Um, but before we do, I assume that the listeners of this podcast may not have revisited. I might be wrong, but I'm going to make the assumption that the listeners of the podcast have not revisited the Monster Squad in a while. Would you recommend people revisit this little film? Yes, because some of the lines in this are absolutely golden. <laughs> um, when they're driving to defeat Dracula, I can't even remember. It's one of the kids says, yeah. if we pull this off, I'm going to shit. <laughs> and I thought he was going to continue the sentence, but he doesn't. I actually re I rewound because I was like, sure he's gonna say shit something. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we pull this off. I'm gonna shit. And I'm taking that line and I'm gonna I'm gonna use it in my real life because that made me laugh so much. Like this is the thing because it is it's well, it's Fred Decker and Shane Black yes. wrote the script together. But you and can there almost are some real gems. You can almost tell which lines were written by Shane Black, right? Yes. Yeah, like Jesus Christ. I feel like probably that one, right? Yeah, and also the one <laughs> I think this is one of the most famous one where it's like I think it's the mini JD who goes, "The Wolfman's got nards." Well, yeah, because they have a whole argument over whether they're like, I can't kick the wolfman in the balls, he doesn't have them. And then he kicks him, he's like, oh yeah, he does. Cool. Sick. <laughs> like, that's just, that's really fine. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with this one. It's such a perfect kind of uh, Sunday afternoon watch. Like, if you're a little bit yes. hungover, and you're just kind of like, uh, my brain not working properly, um, this is a perfect watch. Yeah, or for Halloween, because this is <gasps> yes. quite maybe hypocritical, ironic of me. I don't know. <laughs> like, on Halloween, I don't like to watch scary movies. I like to watch ghouly, ghoulish. <gasps> ghouly <Spooky>. movies! <laughs> yes, I love yeah. that! And this is so, this hits the spot. This is yes. a perfect Halloween movie for me. So on that note, let's move on to Heathers, a.k.a. Clar one of Clarice's favorite films. Yeah, yeah, it was a Monster Squad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's clear. <laughs> Dear Diary, my teen angst bullshit has a body count. The most popular people in school are dead. Everybody's sad, but it's a weird kind of sad. Suicide gave Heather depth, Kurt a soul, Ram a brain. I don't know what it's given me, but I've got no control over myself when I'm with JD. Are we going to prom or to hell? Can can we start a conversation about Heather's kind of with you and kind of what is your relationship with this film? Kind of why do you love it so much that you say it's one of your favorite ones ever? Yeah, I, so I saw it for the first time actually at university. I didn't see mm -hmm. it when I was a teenager. Because um, I wasn't like... I think it's really had like a a bit of a a cultural like reawakening <laughs> more mm -hmm. recently with the musical I guess with the TV show. A yeah. lot of people are talking about it now, but growing up, I don't remember people really talking about Heather's that much. I knew it as like one of those Winona Ryder movies, mm -hmm. but I finally like sat down to watch it, and 
I think it's it's mostly how the character of Veronica is both written and performed mm-hmm. and the idea that you know this is this is such an incredibly dark movie and every time I rewatch it I'm reminded of like you know again I think as culturally it's been filtered down a little bit and if you go watch the musical it's very interesting because the stuff they cut out is basically all the the dark the really dark stuff (laughs) um but to have this character like Veronica who at the end of the day all she wanted was to just make her school a nicer place and she says that several times during the film. She's mm-hmm. like, I just wanted people to be nice to each other. And having that very pure thought and ambition, you know, being hitting up against the wall of real life mm-hmm. uh, and uh, real people society. <laughs> Starting to sound like JD. That's concerning. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's that's kind of the the tragedy at at the end of Heather's mm-hmm. is that like the thing that she wanted doesn't really exist, or if you want it, you have to completely tear down the system that is in place, but you can't because then you turn into a JD, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's this sort of <laughs> I like that it gets at um, how hard it is to be good. Oh, in the world. That's so beautiful. But let's get into into the details of Heather's a bit more. Kind of could you briefly summarize the plot of the film for me? Yes. So <laughs> Veronica is part of the Heathers, mm-hmm. uh, which she's the only non-Heather, but the others are three three teenage girls all called Heather. Um, and they've got different colors to tell them apart. Don't worry. <laughs> and you know she is just what I said. Basically, she's mm-hmm. she's she some was someone who wasn't popular her entire life. She kind of got adopted into this clique, mm-hmm. and she hates her friends. She hates popularity. She hates the stuff that they're doing to other people. The bullying. The um the kind of the way that they embarrass other girls and Mm. and make them feel small uh the way that like the way as well that there's so so much about sexual abuse in this film Mm -hmm. as well of like it's really interesting because it's like all of the the heathers are, are victims um but like what's sort of so scary and repulsive about it is that they just don't they ignore it and they don't talk about it and they kind of like make it a part of their lives and it just it kind of makes you feel a bit sick so she everything about it is making her feel sick (laughs) uh and so she she runs into this guy called jd played Mm -hmm. by the one and only christian sater the best casting ever (laughs) ever Ever. (laughs) who's the outsider guy you know he wears his trench coat he sits on his own at lunch he, read, he reads long books <laughs> and and they uh, develop a very heated but toxic relationship and he very much shares in her vision of like why can't we just get rid of the bullies but they have different interpretations of what that means mm-hmm. she thinks well I'll just wish this in my head and not do anything about it 
And his interpretation is, let's start murdering people. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I guess, where the movie kicks off because, um, you know, they go, they go to (laughs) the Chandler's house and there's a bit of a mix up. (laughs) And Veronica thinks they're playing a prank. JD knows that they're actually murdering her Mm -hmm. and she dies. And, um, it kind of just falls apart from that point on. I mean, yeah. it had already fallen apart the second she died, but it gets worse from there. <laughs> what's What's really interesting is when I was I've watched this film like a million times. I I actually weirdly saw it as a teenager, but I kind of conflated it a little bit in my head with the with the John Hughes teen movies of the eighties. Like I sort of had them all in the same in the same bunch. Although this one always felt different, and when I when I was rewatching it for what I worked on the on the re release of Heather's that happened a few years ago in the UK, and kind of with the restoration and the new Blu Ray release and and all that stuff, and it was kind of amazing thinking about it a lot deeper and putting it into that context because it is like a one of a kind teen movie that happened and feels completely at odds with every other teen movie that came before it and inspired so many other, not copycat films, but definitely darker themed teen movies. And and as I was rewatching it for this, I was thinking like, okay, so this isn't really a horror movie, but it's way too dark. There's a lot of murder. There's a clear-cut psychopathic villain. Uh, there's a conspiracy to blow up the entire school. There's shit tons of deaths. So why is Heather's not a horror movie in a way? I don't know. It kind of, it, it kind of is if mm-hmm. you... I mean, if you count the experience of being a teenage girl as living inside of a horror movie, which I think it is. I would agree. <laughs> I mean, that's the... I guess that's the definition of it. <laughs> really, because... I mean, it is about teenagehood as a whole, but I think it's mm-hmm. very specifically about teenage girldom mm-hmm. um and the nastiness that girls show each other because like jay you know <laughs> jd is such an obvious villain mm-hmm. but you know it takes maybe a little more of a you know a couple more steps to go well yeah but also the heathers the heathers are absolute monsters as well and um that's the thing with Veronica. She goes from one set of monsters to another, mm-hmm. and you're only getting close to a happy ending when she just goes, "Actually, fuck all of this." <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the Heather's themselves. So you mentioned it, like they're the the queen bees and the indirect monsters of the movie. So we've got uh, Heather Chandler, who's red, um, who's the kind of the leader of them. We've got Heather Duke, and we've got <laughs> Heather McNamara. <laughs> So how do the Heathers rule their high school? And how does Veronica fit or not fit in them? Um, <laughs> lunchtime polls. <laughs> what? Okay, this is the really interesting thing about Heathers mm-hmm. is that um, Winona Ryder has been pushing for a sequel like her entire career. Mm-hmm. It's the favorite part that she's ever played. And there was an idea that the screenwriter Daniel Waters had mm-hmm. of doing Heather's 2 where she goes into politics <gasps> <laughs> and she discovers that 
it's the same. And I think that really explains how the Heathers function is that they like, they view the school as a microcosm for the entire world, for society. And mm-hmm. JD does as well, because he mentions it at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but they see themselves very much as like politicians. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the smiling to some people. And I think the lunchtime policy is such a great example of that. You know, who they're smiling at, who they're being friendly with, who they completely ignore, who they abuse. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's not just that it's not just that they're mean all the time. It's like a very sophisticated uh, image of the mean girl mm-hmm. where they're constantly manipulating themselves to get what they want. It's just, it is pure like sociopathy. Um, they will be a different person to whoever they're talking to, depending on the mm. thing that they are seeking. <laughs> and also they are completely miserable all the time. So there's a there's a couple of choice kind of scenes. So Heather Duke, um, who's played by Shannon Doherty, is very much bullied by Heather Chandler all the time, and um, especially bullied for being bulimic, bulimic. And Heather McNamara is extremely quiet as well, and will never stand up to to the main Heather. And Heather Chandler like gets essentially sexually assaulted, and really clearly like hates herself. And and spins out on Veronica in that scene at the university party. But, like, they're all pretty fucking miserable with each other and individually. And yet they continue. Yeah, and I guess it, that's, again, it's like the, the politics thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is because they view that as their function in society. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's a couple of lines that really hint, to, and Veronica talks about this, like, I think she says it's like being popular is a job that you have. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's how the Heathers view themselves. Like their personal feelings. Yeah. Like the body image issues, the sexual assault, um, the depression. I think Heather McNamara, you really get the sense that she, she has depression or some sort of like mm-hmm. mental illness that she's having to hide every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that shit doesn't matter because they're popular. Yes. Yeah the most important thing in their existence and that's why like there are multiple sexual assaults in this movie and i think what's very clever about it is the fact that they're they're sort of backgrounded and not overly commented upon Mm -hmm. because that is the psyche of the heathers and like that's what's so like it's equally sad and repulsive i think their entire existence is that you see how how much they suffer mm-hmm. um how yeah how sad and how truly lonely they are um but also i think you're allowed to not forgive them because you know there are they are as much a victim as of the cycle as they are perpetuating it yes yeah and, they absolutely and are. i guess yeah that's the irony of heathers <laughs> <laughs> and and you kind of mentioned at the start that Veronica really has kind of these pure intentions, but I think that she kind of gets to them eventually because at the start, like even though she really does not fit in uh, both in her name and in her approach to things with the Heathers, she does want to do things differently. But I think that comes after a period of being in with the popular girls because she also like is revealed traits her old friends in order to be cool in order to be ruling the high school with the heathers 
um, but now it's kind of bored and resistant to to how they do things. So I, I do think that it's like a journey that she goes on to kind of become a, a slightly less mean, mean girl. Yeah, I kind I don't know, I like kind of slightly disagree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Descent. <laughs> um, I, to, to me, the thing with Veronica is mm-hmm. that, you know, she she used to be not popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they give this a, they give her a backstory in the musical that I actually find kind of interesting. Okay, is that you know she is this unpopular person that they just the Heather's just enlist because <laughs> they find her useful in the musical. It's oh. because she can forge notes, which they sort of imply in the movie as well, yeah. which is very good at doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just absorb this girl, <laughs> and I don't think she ever really wanted to be there but like if the popular girls tell you come sit at my table you mm-hmm. don't say no right mm-hmm. and i think the position that she's at in the beginning of the movie is that she still remembers the person that she used to be and still wants to be that person mm-hmm. and you see in the way that she interacts with betty finn yeah like that's her old best friend and and she's still kind to her um and and still like apologizes for not going to her birthday party and like Betty Finn makes this joke of like, oh, I wouldn't go to my own birthday party if I had a hot date, which Veronica had. And she goes, no, 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 don't say that because that's the old, like the old Veronica's still there. Mm-hmm. But I think she's so being eaten up by guilt at the beginning because she is part of a system that she doesn't want to be, but she doesn't really know what to do about it. Because what do you do about it? Like you know. <laughs> well, that's true, and I think it's the uh, the party at the um at the college the college party really that's kind of her breaking point where she does stand up to to Heather Chandler, uh, like. But I think there's uh I think it is implied that there is like a backstory or a time where she might have been like as mean as the other Heather's, but now she's done with it and she's bored with it and it's not her and it's not how she wants things to be um i haven't seen a musical myself so like that's not canon for me clarice i'm sorry no i'm already <laughs> bringing it up because i think like the movie kind of implies it and mm-hmm. it's interesting that the musical makes it text that yeah that she is was interesting. Just enlisted because she was useful to them because that is how i've always seen her mm-hmm. i think she's done bad things but i don't think she's ever been happy to be a heather i and agree this I, is the breaking point i think she's she's done bad things but not a bad person not like heather chandler who is like truly quite very mean-spirited <laughs> but so what what about uh jd the um the hot <laughs> psychopathic goth boyfriend that shows up <laughs> I mean, I think what is, like, so fantastic about this film Mm. is that JD, like, he is that guy that when you first see him, like, Mm -hmm. in the cafeteria and the way that he talks and, like, he's so, like, he sees everybody for who they truly are. Like, you kind of, you know, (laughs) kind of like, oh, okay, this guy. (laughs) Yeah, a bit of a... Okay, I've never captured the Rye vibe, but like, <laughs> we can bit. get on board. Um, like, There's... he is, there is something seductive about him. Well, yeah, very, very. <laughs> um, I'm trying to defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. I think, I think like JD doesn't work. If, what? if you don't, I think JD doesn't work if you, you're not into him at the beginning. <laughs> 
<laughs> or if you not ignore, if you don't acknowledge why Veronica would be into him, and then that's the the twist of it is like you spend a lot of the movie sort of wanting to be like, oh, but maybe, maybe, and the movie keeps going, nope, nope, <laughs> no, no, he's a sociopath. It's a bit like um, I've been watching you on Netflix. Yeah, I think that show does a very similar thing mm-hmm. of presenting you as someone who is traditionally looks talks and acts mm-hmm. like like kind of a heartthrob and you spend a lot of that tv show going oh but maybe oh but and the show keeps going nope yeah. no no he's a murderer no <laughs> and i i love that i love mm-hmm. that because it's it's it so exposes the whole like myth of how white guys get away with terrible things because like society we're all conditioned to be into certain things that are very toxic and and i think it does i don't know i think it does such a good job with jd i I love i love him in this movie but i love how awful he is i i love it too and it's he's also (laughs) one of those guys no because i think you know what you hit the nail (laughs) on the head and i wanted to let you finish because he's like a walking red flag but he's a walking red flag that you kind of don't see because same as with joe goldberg on you you kind of he's doing all the things that we've seen everywhere make us kind of fall in love with him really even from the way that he's presented he's like even his name you know when he's he's kind of like a like a 80s gothy james dean right that's kind of the take the like aggressively antagonistic very classically handsome loner that's smart and like reads book and uh, reads books in the in the school cafeteria and kind of doesn't take any shit from the jocks right but he also pulls a gun out like the first scene we meet him <laughs> Like, there is clearly something wrong with this guy, but we're so ready to excuse him because, ooh, edgy, right? It's so edgy. Look yeah, at the, and you're look like, at the black oh, trench well, coat. To the bullies. Yeah. You know, like, they deserved it. And, like, and, in the and same. And then you feel like such an idiot by the end. You're like, what the fuck? But it, but it kind of changes. And, like, when I, you know, when you see this, if you're like a, a, a weird girl in high school or a weird teen girl and you watch this as a weird teen girl and you're like, oh my God, JD, yes. And then when you watch it as an adult, you're like, oh, it's fucking sociopath right there walking in and <laughs> i kind of love that because even even as an adult every time i watch this rewatch this film i'm like but maybe and then it's like no no do not do that everything he's doing is bad there is no there is no salvation for this person and i think that's the thing that veronica kind of realizes as well throughout the film like she's so he feels so much like a burst of fresh air in that high school in that stifling kind of teen dynamic. And then he, he manages to convince her that they haven't actually murdered Heather, which they absolutely have. Like Veronica unwillingly and unknowingly. Um, so it's it's fucking weird and, and complicated. It just taps into how, like you said, just how easily we're ready to forgive a good-looking edgelord. And also, like, what I love about this movie is it's what he brings out in her because as you said he convinces her that they didn't kill uh heather chandler but then the the murder after where he gets the gun with these bullets and he like gives this bullshit story about how they're actually german bullets from world war ii oh my god yes (laughs) and it's like so clearly it's so clearly bullshit yeah and you know that veronica knows that it's bullshit yeah 
but she's telling herself a story to make herself look innocent. And I think that's, I think her realization is less that JD is a bad person, Mm -hmm. but more that JD is bringing out the bad person Mm -hmm. in her. Oh, yes. And you know, the the darkest scene for me, that Mm -hmm. is such a small moment that every time I watch it, I go, Jesus, is after they've um, killed Ram and Kurt. Yeah. And it's the morning after and they're in the car. Mm -hmm. And she takes the lighter and she starts to burn her hand just as like a self-harming yeah she's so eaten up by guilt and then he fucking takes her hand and lights his cigarette with the hand i know and it's so scary and it's such a small moment and it's yes. like not really something that people talk about when they talk about heathers but every time i watch that scene i'm like there's a chill going through my body because i'm like what the that is one of the darkest things i've ever seen in a movie like jesus okay <laughs> Honestly, like this is what I meant at the beginning, right? When we started this conversation, it's like this film has a lot of things that are truly horrific, but it's not really talked about as a horror film. But it seems like this where you're like, oh, holy motherfuck. Like this is a lot more disturbing than, you know, just someone getting murdered through a kitty flap or something like that. I'm thinking about oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll get I'll get murdered by Freddy Krueger over this. Like it's straightforward. <laughs> he just comes in your dreams and he murders you. Like JD, <laughs> you gotta go go through a whole thing before he kills you, <laughs> and you die feeling very weird about yourself. So <laughs> yeah, you die kind of like both being a little bit aroused and very conflicted and very guilty, having a whole yeah. conversation with you about your problematic horniness. Like it's very complicated. JD is a fucking mess of a of a character and i love him for that yeah please just murder me at a at a summer camp instead i don't want to deal with this too much <laughs> so and and kind of on on that note what about the actual murder so there's one thing actually that christian slater said at the time of release that i loved when so this film did not do like you mentioned in in our intro, this film does not did not do very well when it was released. It kind of it was very badly released. It did like nothing at the box office. It didn't make back its budget. It was like very. It became a cult a cult hit and and eventually kind of was really resurrected and stuff. But people just didn't know what the fuck to do with this film. It was just odd, and a lot of people kind of protested about a glorifying suicide. And being irresponsible because it's targeted towards a teen audience, right? And there's something I saw of uh, a, an interview with Christian Slater at the time of the film's release where he was like, what are they talking about? There's no actual suicides in the film. It's all murders. <laughs> yes. Well... There's, yeah, there's there's one there's like an attempted suicide. There's an attempted one. And, and actually, like, in the... Um, not to plug myself but in the i wrote one of the essays for the our re-release of heathers and one of my points was like actually the i think one of the the main points of the the film is that while they're so busy talking and doing these like weird self-aggrandizing and self-serving sessions about suicide prevention actually there's a there's real teenagers in distress heather mcnamara is one um martha is the other one is the is the girl who who attempts to like walk into into traffic it's like there's real teenagers suffering and they're being ignored while everyone is faffing around talking about how to prevent teenagers from being sad and self-harming 
and and that those moments are really really human and kind of right there um but really kind of ignored by the rest of the characters and that's the most the most kind of real life conversation that it can like that's the most um accurate i think representation of what it's like to be a teenager in emotional pain right where you have all of these slogans and supposed support systems and stuff but very few of them actually acknowledge and empathize and and take seriously uh anxiety or mental health issues in teenagers i think that's definitely changed but i think heathers perhaps did not land with people at the time because it was trying to illustrate visually something that was just not really didn't really exist in the conversation didn't really exist in the same way in, in as it does now you're so right and like the accusation that heathers in any way like glamorizes or glorifies suicide is ridiculous to me because it's one of the most anti-suicide films that mm-hmm. i have ever seen <laughs> you know the way that I mean, it's that great line from Veronica. It's like, you're going to make yourself another statistic in mm-hmm. USA of today. And it's it's really, I mean, it's quite scathing mm-hmm. about um, media coverage of uh, mental illness and, and of suicide and the idea of, like, copycat uh, situations. And, and, like, the whole, the whole irony of, of these people who are murdered mm. when they write the suicide note that is, like, Oh, secretly, like exposes this internal life and the way that the adults like jump on that, and this and the teacher is distributing the note in class, saying, "Read this, see what how she felt, how emotional." It's like I can't imagine a worse thing you could do in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it's so scathing about the way that that the media and adults handle these kinds of narratives and the romantic romanticization of um i think any kind of teenage self-harm um mm-hmm. in in the way that it's like yeah the way they're like oh, these teens you know they're hurting they're hurting mm-hmm. like we just have to be open to um when yeah the thing that really cuts through it all is for is veronica say that line you don't want to be another mm-hmm. statistic in the usa like something that simple of uh, because what she's saying is like hey heather mcnamara like don't fall for what society wants you to do because mm-hmm. that's what they want you to do because they want to be able to romanticize this shit they want to mm-hmm. be able to like use this as a jumping off point for some like bullshit legislation you know <laughs> like they don't they don't care about you they care about how they can manipulate your death mm-hmm. to advance their own agendas and i think like what a like wow <laughs> what a great like really on point i think as as you said maybe like a little less true today but i think for the time period especially mm-hmm. it was so true so on point and all the narratives that were happening at that time the mm-hmm. um and how patronizing i think of like the 80s and i think of how patronizingly teenagers would treat it mm-hmm. like this whole say no to drugs like <laughs> oh vegan shit is like <laughs> like i think that's what this movie is making fun mm-hmm. of like these ridiculous narratives that teenagers were fed throughout the entire decade which didn't help anybody at all and and kind of you know going going back to the murder <laughs> um <laughs> there is um we, we we kind of started in in that direction because i think what's interesting rewatching heathers is that there's the murder scenes are 
quite extensive. Like they spend a lot of times, a lot of time with the body. You know, the actual scenes of violence are like quite direct and efficient, but there is there's like a lot of time spent rearranging the bodies kind of putting them in positions, crafting these stories around them, faking the suicide notes, um, you know, like creating all these narratives and then sort of reveling, especially JD, in how people react to it, um, which I think is, again, it's like those elements of horror that I really like about Heathers that makes up the genre so well. What do you think about the way that the actual violence is presented and played around with? Yeah, I like that it's um it isn't particularly realistic, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean Heather Chandler you know, the the drinking of the Drano scene is so sort of dramatic where the where she's got like the blue teeth and then she smashes through the table, um, you know, instant death. It's it's sort of there's something like a little bit pantomime to how all these deaths play out because mm-hmm. it and it locks into that idea that this film is is just all about like the romanticization and ritualization of of teen death by society um i think it yeah i think it it works that it's all like it's like a little bit silly but on purpose, if that makes sense. What do you mean? <laughs> you know, the cotton. Well, you know, like cotton ram running around in their underwear for like five minutes, and you know when they get shot, it's like the you know it's a very like small bullet hole. It's not you know, it has no, it has no bearing on real life. I feel like right, mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> you know, it, but it's more about it's all very symbolic, I guess. Um, because it's so much about who's doing the murdering as opposed to who's getting murdered and then what the deaths are then being used for. Mm-hmm. Which is why, as you said, so much time is spent with the bodies afterwards trying to, like, you know, fake the murder suit, writing the, the notes. Um, is like, Yeah, it's just like, it's again that thing of, like, the manipulation of death, death being for an agenda and people mm-hmm. using someone else's, like, how would you feel to have your death? Mm-hmm. being used for something out of your control i guess that's that's like the message of heathers in in the end and and what do you make about the way that it kind of escalates because the other thing you know once veronica starts pushing back against jd he kind of goes into his full monstrous self and he he sets up this plan to essentially like blow up the the entire school with with all the kids in there like during prom and and I think this is quoted as this is usually referred to as one of the reasons why Heather's could not be made today because now we live in a post-Columbine world where unfortunately these types of events and happen in a lot of schools and are not going to keep happening over and over again and this this is such a it, it has a completely different kind of interpretation watching it now because you're kind of seeing a prediction of things that would materials and would happen quite a lot of students massacring other students but the way that it's how do you think it's played out here i guess like they 
that's why I said that the the deaths of like are a little bit silly because in mm-hmm. the the minds of the makers of this film, like the idea of you know all these teenagers killing each other and and planning a bomb you know in the basement of the the school gymnasium mm-hmm. was sort of a fantasy idea it wasn't they weren't basing it off anything real it was a it was always meant to be like let's take the everyday tension within a school mm-hmm. and push it to its greatest extreme which would be physical violence and death um and i think that's really how that scene plays out and like while you're watching it you have to sort of (laughs) allow it again to remind yourself when this was made and go well that's what this is about you know it's about the stuff that jd tells her in the basement of like you know the only place that uh different types of social classes are gonna get along is in heaven which is like such a fucking weird dark thing to say (laughs) but but also like kind of true and that's like the the Mm -hmm. horribleness of it is that he's he's sort of right to say that obviously not to not the bomb but to say Mm -hmm. that line um and yeah and so i i it it is interesting to watch it Mm -hmm. today and i think at the end of the day like Focusing too much on or trying to say too much about um its connections to like the world that we live in mm-hmm. it it's a little misguided and I think it it detracts from what the actual film what the film is doing, which is why that remake was such a terrible idea <laughs> yeah. and i'm and I'm in no way by the way saying that like it in any way like predicted or inspired um real life events but i i realize why that is a reason why a lot of people kind of now feel particularly uncomfortable watching it or like you know trying to remake it Uh, well i think like the thing that it predicted or the thing that it knew then that we know now is like okay it's like that the kids are not okay that like there is Mm that you know the the sort of people that are like jd do exist and as we have so you know tragically and horrifically seen are are pushed and have been pushed to violence Mm -hmm. um and you know i think that's that's the only sort of connection is to go like you know the like the taking serious like taking teen serious Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's like the need to take to take these people. Um, you know, there's that whole thing about like Veronica wanting to be treated like an adult, mm-hmm. um, and to have all her concerns be be seen and and treated seriously. And I think like that's the sort of thing that it predicted that like teen matters um, are real and they are serious and they're not things for adults to brush under the carpet and like mm-hmm. the very like tragic result of that that we've seen is the violence in schools um you know i think yeah. yeah i think that's like kind of the only connection is that it was saying at that time like please take don't brush teenagers off do you mm-hmm. know <laughs> and um, yeah the other thing as well that is um completely unique about this film really is that it deliberately did not try to be set in any particular time and 
I mean, you know, it does feel very late 80s because obviously of the cast, some of the fashions and stuff. Shoulder pads. You know what? Shoulder pads have come back. So that's true. Um, But like, I think it it was very, a very deliberate choice in the script and the way that they speak is so completely unique. It's completely out of place and out of time for the 80s for now. Um, Kind of, what do you think makes Heather such an, outlier in these choices in the script and the visuals well that what always makes me laugh is that daniel waters the screenwriter has Mm -hmm. said that when he sat down to write heathers he's like i'm gonna make a teen movie if it was made by stanley kubrick i know i love it (laughs) the ambition i respected the audacity yes daniel well done (laughs) And you know what? I I don't think he's fully wrong. I mean, obviously, a Stanley Kubrick had made like a teen comedy, it wouldn't have been Heather's. But I would love, and if anyone listening to this can make this happen, I would love for someone on the internet to actually make like one of these fan trailers for what a teen comedy directed by Stanley Kubrick would look like. <laughs> Fucking love to see that. I would love to see that. It's like when, you know, someone remade The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as like a prestige uh, dark drama. Oh my god! Someone like a film, an independent filmmaker, made like a fan trailer for that, and reimagined for that tone, and it was perfect. Chef's kiss. Someone do that, but oh for um, Heather's is directed by Stanley Kubrick. Anyway, I'm sorry, I digress. I interrupted you. Right, like I, uh, where he's not wrong, I'll say mm-hmm. is, I think the timelessness of it plays into this idea that it's. It's like symbolism. Like mm-hmm. everything's constantly symbolic, and you know the color palettes of the the heathers, the croquet game. Like so much of how the film is constructed, the things that they say. You know, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Do I look like Mother Teresa? Like <laughs> there's so much in that line. You could spend mm-hmm. days taking it apart. Um, I think yeah, that's the thing. It, it's it's timeless because it's all. It's it's all um, kind of like mythical teenagehood, <laughs> where every, every you know every action is is laden with meaning, mm-hmm. and but if you take that all apart, you know the emotions that it's pinned down to are uh, extremely and terrifyingly real. Mm-hmm. You mentioned one of the famous lines: "Fuck me gently with a chainsaw," but. What do you think about the dialogue specifically? I love it. <laughs> I love to quote it. Um, how very fantastic. Um, yeah, and I guess it was really, it was again going back to that thing of let's just take take teenagers seriously mm. and to give them the intellect to have developed their own language. Because you're right that it's not it's really thing, like yeah. 80s slang because mm-hmm. it's not something that culture has given to them. Mm-hmm. It's something that they've invented themselves and it gives them like an independence that mm-hmm. a lot of other teen movies wouldn't have. I guess, you know, after that you have like Diablo Cody who was doing kind of the modern version yeah. of the Heather's lingo. Totally, especially in Juno and Jennifer's Body. Yes, yeah, yeah. Jennifer's Body, like, it's pretty much. There's a lot of yeah. Heather's in that movie. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Um, what do you have a favorite quote from Heather's? Oh, um, um. Oh, I love so many. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I love "Fuck Me Gently with a Chainsaw." Mm-hmm. Um, I love how very. I love um, you look like hell. I just got back. <laughs> um, our love is God. Let's go get a slushy. <laughs> The chaos created the dinosaurs. Um, I just feel like like greetings and salutations line. is a great starting greetings point. Um, my te- my yeah. teen angst bullshit has a body count. Fucking love that. Um, what else do I? I love. I love when Veronica uh, stands up to have the Duke, and she's like, "Why do you have to be such a mega bitch?" And she just responds, "Because I can." And yeah. it's like, um, there's just I don't know there's so many good moments I and I think that's the thing is everyone can take their like there are the famous lines like fuck me down the chainsaw but I feel like everyone has their own little moments that they get really mm. attached to so before we wrap up Clarice is there is there anything about Heather's that we haven't talked about that you wanted to bring up um oh. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Um, I mean, I just want to say that mm-hmm. Winona Ryder in this. Oh my god! Because she is one of the like the realest teenagers I've ever seen mm-hmm. on screen. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, you know, if you watch the John Hughes, I mean, if we're looking at this, is is coming after the John Hughes era. Mm-hmm. I never related to any of those characters, like. You know, they were so, they were, they were so like, they were too perfect and too perfectly created. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even though Breakfast Club is about not being put into boxes, like, mm. <laughs> a lot of the character work in the John Hughes movies is putting people into little boxes. Sure. And what I love about Winona Ryder, like, in this movie is that she just, like, she, she isn't anything. She's mm-hmm. just like an angry teenage girl. And we never really get to see that very often. Someone who's just like fed up and and sees the her existence for what it is mm-hmm. and kind of just wants to be an adult already, but also sort of doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's the kind of stuff that I relate to and I related to, you know, I, and I think that was interesting is like not watching it as a teenager, mm-hmm. but watching it right after I'd kind of left teenagehood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it felt very validating to watch this movie because um, a lot of the thoughts and feeling, again, I'm excluding the murder. I'm just talking about like the way that Veronica <laughs> sees herself and like her role in society. Like, yeah. Um, you know, the whole thing of her just like, God, why can't everybody just be nice was something that I've thought a lot growing up and still think today. Um, and and to have a, a character, you know, which is half in the writing and I think half in Winona's performance. Um, someone who's just like, why can't things just be, you know, why can't we just all be normal? <laughs> why we all got to be weird with each other all the time like i love that that to me is what makes heather's like my movie Mm -hmm. 
and also possibly has one of the best endings. Exaggerated, OTT for sure, but one of the best endings of teen teen films, where she just wants to hang out with someone nice and watch watch some movies. That's all she wants to do. No bullshit. No high school politics. No cool dudes. Yeah. Although I like when she's like, there's a new sheriff in town. Yeah, that's cute. And she takes a scrunchie of power. Yeah, it's like sort of the fantasy of like, I think a lot of unpopular kids have of like, if I could just become popular, then I could change things, you know? (laughs) Well, yeah, but very often, like, the narrative of that is proven to be that they're kind of worse than their bullies, right? It's sort of like in in the much maligned season six of Buffy, where the three... The three, like, uncool dudes um, kind of gain powers. And the whole thing is that they're they're a lot worse than the people that they hate. Or, like, in Christine, right? Like, Arnie, who is the nerd of the school, is actually a lot more of a vicious character and a very nasty person. And being emboldened or empowered by, by the car, by the car Christine, only makes him worse. But that was always in him. Whether it's, think- whether it's Veronica genuinely does kind of just wanted everyone to be okay. Yeah, but I think that's the difference between those characters and Veronica is that she she wants to break down the system. Like, that's the end. I think when she takes the scrunchie, she says mm-hmm. there's a new sheriff in town. It's not that she's just going to become the popular girl and she's going to be nice, which mm-hmm. I think is more the fantasy of those characters, mm-hmm. that she's going to become the popular girl and she's going to stop the idea of popularity you know she's yes. gonna be Lindsay lohan at the end of mean girls like breaking <laughs> yes. the crown and throwing it into the crown <laughs> like you know I, yeah. most people say that mean girls is you know a kind of a heather's descendant and i think in that image like it is sort of a fantasy but i think it's a fantasy that a lot of people have of like mm-hmm. god if i could just get enough power to like break the system yes it's so hard you feel so helpless when you don't have the power Mm-hmm. And I think Heather's really deals with that fantasy, like both the impossibility of it and also like maybe, maybe hope, maybe. Maybe hope. <laughs> I mean, it's no coincidence that the, yeah, the director of Mean Girls is the brother of Daniel Waters, the screenwriter of Heather's. Yeah, which apparently they asked the director of Heather's, Michael Lerman. Yeah. And he was like, I already made that movie. Yeah. It's called that's a great anecdote. I yeah. Um, so I think we wrapped up everything that we needed to talk about Heathers. I mean, we could go into so much more. It's such a dense movie. Um, and there's so many different entry points into it. But now wrapping up both of these, having spoken about both Monster Squad and Heathers at length, how do you see these two um fitting in with each other? I think, yeah, let me think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think what makes both of them great is that they're films that really tried not to talk down to their audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what made them feel out of place for their time because, uh, you know, throughout all history, we just think, they get. I keep coming back to the same things. It's like 
we just never want to take kids and teenagers seriously because we think now that we're adults like we know everything Mm -hmm. we can do everything and you know to inflate an adult's ego you put down kids and teenagers is just you know Mm -hmm. not knowing anything and i like that both of these movies go actually you know what (laughs) they know just as much probably more and can do just as much probably more good and bad um yeah still undecided about the kids having guns (laughs) 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 but maybe that again maybe that's me as an adult thinking (laughs) thinking i know better (laughs) um but yeah i think that to me is that to me is the connecting thread i think that's a very neat nice way to wrap both of these movies up so Clarice, thank you so much for your time and for your insight into these. Where can people find more of your work online? All of my work is always posted to my Twitter at Clarice Lou. Uh, and also uh, you can listen to a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fade to Black, that I, I do every week mm-hmm. with two very good buddies of mine. Um, and also we do a podcast. We do a podcast. <laughs> called the next supremes if you like american horror story um and then there's oh, I, just, I have lots of other podcasts. just go on my twitter that's where all the podcasts are <laughs> you've got a book to screen podcast as well which comes out every month yeah big screen book club um we're doing Emler at the moment and jane austen mm. <laughs> and you've got a really 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 fun newsletter which i love which you publish every thursday Yes, every Thursday at 6pm it goes out. Thank you, that's really nice of you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm like your unofficial publicist. It's cool. (laughs) 